Someone famous actually named the tart. Is that right? Yeah. So that was Brigitte Bardot, which I think <gasps> all of us know. <laughs> um, but what's mm. interesting is that the tart was actually made by a Polish baker. Enchanté. Bonjour, I'm Andrew Pryor, and this is Fabulously Delicious, the podcast that brings you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food. Whether they're here in France, like me, or around the world, each week we dive into a specific topic, a French dish, an ingredient, or French cuisine cooking technique, and we learn about it from a special guest who's an expert on that topic. My guests are all about French food. Either they cook it, they produce it, talk, write, or photograph it. But above all, they love it. So come, join me each week as my motto in life is, whatever you do, do it fabulously. And that's why this podcast is not just about delicious French food, but French food that's fabulously delicious. Bon app, everybody. Peter Hashenport, welcome to Fabulously Delicious today. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, merci beaucoup for coming on. Peter, before we talk all things uh, tarte de trapeze, oh, I hope I've spelled that, sound that right. I bet I haven't. We'll talk about that later. But I want to get your, get our audience to get to know you a little bit more. You were born in the US, but your mum and dad were Persian. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Right. So why did they come to the US? So my dad actually came first. He was older than my mom. He came when he was 18 and it was just a dream of his to move to the U.S., you know, be independent. He always had an entrepreneurial spirit. So he made the move um, and basically set up life in the States, went to college here, worked here. And uh, once he got a job, he went back home for a visit, and that's where he met my mom. Wow. And that brought mom over. <laughs> okay, and so when was that? This was, so I think it was in the 70s for, for dad, but by the time mom came, it was the early 80s. The early 80s. And so forgive my ignorance, so basically Persia is Iran? Right. What, what experience did they have coming to the U.S.? Yeah, so it's really interesting. When my dad came, um, it was fine. The revolution hadn't happened yet. But by the early 80s, uh, that's when the revolution was happening and there were a lot of protests. The government obviously was changing. And so when my mom was coming, they actually were not issuing visas very easily. It was quite hard to get them. And she just got really lucky that um, the consular representative or agent uh, basically seemed to like her and he issued her the visa. And so she kind of got right into the U.S. in the, the nick of time, so to speak. I think it would have been even harder had she been there any longer. Who was the cook in the family, your mom or your dad? Oh, definitely mom. <laughs> my dad uh, worked full time. My mom was a stay at home mom for many years. And, um, you know, the interesting thing is when she first moved to the States, she was really young and she wasn't a very great cook, but uh, she learned as she went along. And uh, now, you know, she's at this level where she's worked professionally in kitchens and is very, very good. <laughs> Fabulous. Does she cook Persian food? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, she cooks Persian. She does, uh, you know, American, Mexican, Asian, <laughs> all sorts of All the of foods. Yeah, yeah, great. What what kind of dishes might we know from, say, Persian cuisine? Ooh, so I think the most well-known are kebabs. Um, you know, usually they'll be either ground beef kebabs that are made on a skewer or uh, chicken kebabs. But I think really popular is um, Persian rice, which is basically basmati rice uh, flavored with saffron. And and they make that that crispy bottom. It's called tadig, which is to die for and people fight over. <laughs> so, yeah. My generation, because uh, I'm a l- little bit older than you. <laughs> just, um, a little. <laughs> just a little, yes. <laughs> but, but, uh, especially in Australia, you know, a lot of us, uh, my generation did come from immigrant families. And, you know, especially uh, within Asian communities, there's always a lot of talk of that generation that you had to hide your lunchbox, so to speak. Oh, yeah. <laughs> where, it's, where it's now, it's the reversal, isn't it? It's like it's the, the people that are lucky enough to come from uh, Asian and uh, European families that are taking these exotic lunchboxes. They're the ones that need to be swapped with the other people. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody wants their lunches. But uh, did you have that experience when you were at school? Did you bring in, were you bringing in Persian lunches? And Yeah, so I definitely had that experience. There's a lot of Persian foods that um, taste amazing, but maybe they don't look the prettiest. <laughs> they look kind of funny as a kid. That's at least what you're thinking. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely had that experience. But in general, too, when I was younger, I was a lot pickier as an eater. Uh, so I didn't necessarily love all the things that I do now in Persian cuisine. Uh, the joke was that my insides were probably filled with peanut butter because I loved peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So really, I always requested that for mom. But the you know few times that I would try to take something Persian for lunch, it was like, yeah, you kind of just quietly <laughs> pulled it out of the lunchbox and hope nobody asks questions around you. You just mentioned a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for those of us that aren't in the States. What is jelly? I've always wanted to know that. <laughs> um, I mean, is it jam? Yeah, it's literally jam. It's just, uh, you know, like fruit preserves have sometimes chunks of fruit or the seeds in them and whatnot. Um, with jelly, it's there's no actual chunks of fruit. It's strained so that it's just the jelly part. <laughs> so it'd be like the sort of the the fruit pate, sort of the fruit jelly that we have with cheese, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, but um, I think it compared to that, so the pate is still quite quite thick. And, and the jelly, it is like gelled, so it is thick enough to hold its shape, but you wouldn't be able to create create like a nice neat square the way you do with the pates. Ah, that's great to know because I just thought it was like jam and I've been doing that. I've been putting peanut butter with jam on my toast and thinking that I'm really cool and American and like I've got peanut butter and jelly. You are. You know, they do that in the States. You use jam and you still call it jelly even if it's not literally jelly. (laughs) Fabulous. Do you cook Persian food? I do. I do. Actually, um, I will say some dishes in terms of everyday cooking because Persian food can be quite um, 
involved and take a lot of time to make. So some of the dishes are really easy and they're like one pot kind of dishes and others are not. (laughs) So those ones are not generally in my daily rotation. And what's your favorite thing that, um, that your mom used to cook or your mom cooks? So actually, ironically, the one thing she, I love that she makes, it's not necessarily Persian, uh, but she will often serve it with Persian rice. Uh, it's her roast chicken. She makes the most incredible roast chicken and she's famous for it in our family and friends. <laughs> Fabulous. What's her secret? So she uses a lot of fresh herbs like rosemary, thyme, sage, um, and she always cooks it perfectly so that it's still juicy and not dry. But then she also sticks these slices of baguette. Usually it's like day old baguette underneath the chicken, kind of like a bed for the chicken. And so then when it's baking, all those juices run down and the bottom gets crispy on the bread. So it's like delicious gross chicken croutons (laughs) when's our invitation i know i know she's actually here in town visiting me so come on over andrew (laughs) yeah fabulous i will you're listening to fabulously delicious the french food podcast do you have a passion for one particular french dish ingredient or cooking technique add to that do you have a story to tell well i'd love to hear it and i'm sure many of our fabulously delicious audience would too So get in touch, slide into my DMs. Hmm, I've always wanted to say that. On Instagram at Andrew Pryor Fabulously, as I'd love to hear from you and hopefully have you on Fabulously Delicious. We have a mutual food hero in common, the wonderful Inna Garten. Garten, I can't say her name. (laughs) Ina, Ina Garten. Um, What is it about the Barefoot Contessa? That's why I can't say her name because I just know her as the Barefoot Contessa. What do you love so much about the Barefoot Contessa? So, you know, it's funny. I started watching her when I was really young. I was probably nine or ten, and my grandma used to always watch her and she was staying with us at that time and so I would be watching her show even though I wasn't really into cooking at that time in my life Um, so I think there's one some familiarity but also now I just really appreciate how foolproof so many of her recipes are I've found that she's one of the few like celebrity chefs that when you pull a recipe from her it actually turns out the way you're hoping (laughs) Ina has a, a specific dish that she cooks for her husband, Jeffrey, uh, every Friday. It's mm-hmm. always a chicken dish. Yeah. Do you, um, for me, I've always got to make a, a chili dish once a week oh, for yeah. my other half um, because Peter, he, he loves chili. Uh, hence, the reason why we, hence the reason why we moved to France. You know, there's so much fabulous chili here. I know. I was going to say. That's the in joke. Um, Obviously, we came because of me. But uh, do you have a specific dish that uh, or ingredient that you cook for your significant other every Friday? Um, So I will just say this, that in general, I am a huge taco lover. (laughs) Uh, I am from California originally, so I feel like Mexican food is also in my DNA. And uh, ironically, in France, you cannot find great Mexican food. So this is actually something that I make a lot at home is I'll do uh, tacos. And I just um, 
fill them with sometimes chicken, sometimes fish, steak. But it's probably tacos and french fries. That would be like my last meal on earth, sort of. <laughs> Do you uh, make your own uh, tortillas? So I have. Um, and in France... I've had two more, <laughs> but um, in the States, no, usually I don't. The funny thing is, is that um, I went to the Taste of Paris Food Festival last year and they had a Mexican stand there um, and the line was so long. And I was like, see, Parisians, they love Mexican food. It's just, I don't know why they don't have, you know, some more great places for it here. Back to Ina, just a uh, quickly before we move on to everything else I did want to ask you my question that I would ask Ina if I if I met her would be what's her nickname for Jeffrey you know because in my head it would be the shoe wearing count um, because she's the barefoot contessa so right. she must call him the shoe wearing count uh, but what would your question be for Ina well you know what's funny is I did run into her in <gasps> No. Yes. Um, And just recently, it was literally, what, a week and a half ago when she was here. Um, And what was interesting was this was like one of my bucket list things because I knew she has a place here in Paris. So when I moved here, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I hope I like run into her at a, you know, food market or something. And because of COVID, I guess she hadn't traveled to Paris for quite a while. Uh, And so this recent trip she took this spring was um, her first trip since COVID began. And I was walking down the street and I spotted her sitting down at a cafe with Jeffrey. <gasps> oh my gosh. I know. And her back was to me, but she was wearing her like signature blue denim button down. <laughs> and I was like, I'm pretty sure that's her. And when I looked to see who she was talking to and I saw it was Jeffrey, um, I knew it was her. So I kind of had a moment where I didn't know if I should go up to her since they were in a deep conversation with each other. Um, and I didn't want to, you know, bother them, but I was like, you know, I'm going to kick myself if I don't just say hi. So I went up to her and I literally just told her I'm a big fan. Um, I've been following your posts on Instagram because she's been posting like crazy um, and really enjoy them. And she smiled and she was really friendly and said, thank you. And then I kind of just ran off. <laughs> I was way too starstruck and, yeah. um, and really, I just didn't want to bother them, but yeah. I was proud that I even caught that in. And I think this is fine. I mean, I'm super jealous and I would totally do the same thing. And you know what? I think she was actually more surprised that she got recognized. Like it was almost like she wasn't expecting to be seen in, you know, in Paris, but. I'd love to be recognized like the Barefoot Contessa on the other side of the world in a restaurant with my husband. I know. I mean, she's, she's living her best life and and my dream life. (laughs) Exactly. So how did you fall in love with France? So, you know, what's interesting is that I didn't grow up a big Francophile. Um, When I was in school, we only had Spanish class. So that's what I took. Um, But uh, my friend in college, she was a big Francophile and she decided to do a study abroad in Paris. And so during Christmas break, she called me up and she was like, do you want to come stay with me? And I thought, well, 
Sure. I mean, this is like a bucket list thing is to visit Paris. So I went and I completely fell in love. I fell in love with Paris and France, the French culture. And so it's safe to say I I became a Francophile after that. And do you live here now? How did that come about? Yeah. So I had been dreaming of living in Paris, honestly, since that trip. Um, but I had always been working in corporate and um, it wasn't until 2019 when I left my final corporate job that um, I actually started seriously considering moving to Paris. And uh, by the time it happened in 2020, uh, we all know how Yes. What happened in 2020 (laughs) with COVID. So that, um, you know, kept me from being able to come for a year. But we made it happen in 2021. (laughs) You're a lifestyle coach, but you're a lifestyle coach for a specific, you're a specific type of lifestyle. Yeah. So it's really great. Um, This year I started working with women one-on-one to basically tackle four areas of their life. Um, Mindness, well, uh, mindfulness, uh, wellness, beauty, and style. And so um, what I do is I help them approach all four areas with a French mindset and approach. Um, And basically, I work with clients uh, in my program to create a personalized plan for them to implement French lifestyle practices and achieve their goals for all four areas of their life. And yeah, it's been really amazing because um, I've never gotten to work with women one-on-one like this before. And just seeing the impact you know, on their life and the transformations they go through has been very fulfilling. What exactly is a lifestyle coach? Because I don't really know. Yeah, with women, I think that in general, women tend to put everybody in their life first before themselves. We always kind of put ourselves on the back burner. And um, one thing I really recognized from my travels to France and living here is that French women really do prioritize themselves when it comes to their diet, their self-pampering time, their personal style, beauty, skincare, even though they have the same modern demands that other societies and cultures do. And um, I think that women often, they'll either feel very overwhelmed when it comes to sort of revamping their daily routines or their personal style and diet, uh, or they just get stuck in a rut. And so I hear, especially right now after COVID, I've heard from so many women who feel like they've sort of let themselves go. They, they're wearing the leggings and the oversized jacket like every day. It's become the normal, you know, outfit. And so, uh, having a personal lifestyle coach basically, helps you get rid of that overwhelm and gives you step-by-step, you know, easy initiatives you can take to achieve your goals. And of course, the accountability that so many of us often need to actually get something done. (laughs) Right. Um, If you could lifestyle coach somebody from French history, who would that be and why? Ooh, Oh, that's a good question. Um, 
I mean, can I just selfishly say Marie Antoinette just because I would want to be in <laughs> her world? <laughs> um, you know, I mean, of course, so much of it has been glamorized in uh, movies and whatnot. But if you've seen, uh, you know, one of the recent Marie Antoinette films, um, she just, I mean, she had the best designers showing up for her. Uh the most amazing pastries and champagne and whatnot. And I imagine that if I was her coach, I'd be invited to those. (laughs) Ah, See, I think that might be a bit controversial because, you know, there's possibly an argument to say that Marie Antoinette was the fake Instagrammer of her time. (laughs) You know, she she did have that whole village, the fake village built uh, out next to Versailles where she used to pretend to be common and poor. (laughs) So she's got some similarities there to these people that, you know, are taking their pictures behind in front of green screens, but saying that they're they're somewhere. Or, there would um, be yes. a risk of getting <laughs> beheaded with her for sure. Um, but still, the chance to to walk on the grounds of her side during that time. I mean, exactly. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So you're into French food. Your Instagram is Mon Petit Four. Um, it's not a fake one. Um, so no. Uh, so what, yes, you do. What got you into French French food. Yeah. So honestly, that uh, first trip that I made when I went um, and stayed with my friend, we we honestly acted like complete tourists and we're going to all the wonderful little French spots, um, some famous like La Durée, but some not. Uh, and I think really that's why I came to love French food, because we didn't visit just you know, Angelina's or whatnot for the French food. We went to a lot of little hole in the wall places that had fabulous, authentic French food. And so I did fall in love with it. And I didn't really have that much experience with French cuisine prior to that trip. So. Right. Well, I was going to ask you that. Did your mom ever cook French food? Yeah. Um, not really, no. Like, I never grew up eating beef bourguignon or, you know, um, I mean, even steak-free. It's like I had steak, but I didn't necessarily always have it with fries. <laughs> if you had to make something for something French for your mum now, what would that be? Uh, actually, I think her two favorite things that I make are the – Oh, no, I should say three. She loves when I make beef bourguignon, uh, French onion soup, and most recently, um, blanquette de veau, so the veal stew, because I started making that in the winter here, and when she visited me for Christmas, she was loving that. So, Well, thank you for mentioning that, because that's three episodes of my podcast. The, oh, is the, it? The, <laughs> the blanquette de veau and the, the for onion soup. So maybe you can get mum to uh, listen to the podcast as well for me. That would oh, be yeah, great. Oh, yeah, I'm sure she'd love it. <laughs> She's a big foodie too, obviously. So Fabulous. <laughs> Do you want to support Fabulously Delicious, the podcast, and learn more about French food? Then join me and some of the wonderful people cooking it and producing it. Hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts, be it Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Peter, after today's topic, the tart trapezi... Tra- How do I say it correctly? 
Tart trapezian. So, what exactly is a tart trapezian? Um, well, just quickly, I'll say that that's mom's favorite pastry too. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it is basically a brioche cake. Um, it's not a tart in the traditional sense that you think, like a you know um, pastry crust sort of thing. It is a brioche cake with a creamy custard filling. Right, and so the cream inside the tart, it's made, it's a bit unusual, isn't it? It's made from two different types of cream or something? What, yeah. What's that about? So, um, it can be, there are little variations, but for the most part, it tends to be pastry cream with chantilly mixed together, which is basically like whipped cream and custard mixed together to create a creme diplomate. Uh, I think it's also known as Madame Creme uh to some French chefs, but um, it's amazing because it's literally pastry cream lightened up. So it's just got that same rich velvety texture, but there's like an airiness to it because of that whipped cream. And nothing, there was nothing, anything wrong about pastry cream and whipped cream whipped together. <laughs> no. Nothing, no. Custard and cream, who could not want that? And then you add a cake. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. The cake itself, it's made, as you mentioned, from brioche. So what's the difference between, say, a brioche cake and, say, just actual brioche? Is it the same thing? So it's pretty much the same thing. Um, You know, brioche in general, it's a bread, so it's made with yeast. And I think that is also maybe new to some people who might not know, um, because when you think of cake, you're thinking of like a really fluffy, um, you know, birthday cake crumb, right? Yeah. And this is, while it's a cake, it's not the traditional cake in that sense. It's made with brioche, which is a bread, uh, but it's still really fluffy and tender because of the eggs and butter that are mixed into brioche dough. I think the one little thing that makes it different than, say, the brioche you pick up at the bakery in the morning is that they'll often add uh, orange blossom water to the brioche dough and sometimes the filling as well for a tart trapezian. Are there any other cakes in France that are made from like a brioche dough? Um, no, you know what? Um, I At least I can't think of any. Uh, and, you know, one of the reasons I love it is because it does, I feel like, combine that love that I have for bread (laughs) and pastry. It's like you get a mix of both. Um, And it's also a very unique pastry in the sense that it's not easily found in the States. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to see it on even, even if you go to a French place, it's rare to see it on the menu. Which is interesting. I wonder why, because it's, you know, it's bread or brioche, egg, uh, 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 enriched dough bread, which I'm sure many people would love brioche in the States, and pastry cream with whipped cream. I mean, hello. I know. Why they would just you need not? to be enlightened. <laughs> I know. Well, maybe we'll do that on the podcast. Yes. By the name of it, the tart trapezian. It's hard. <laughs> it's a hard one. The tart trapezian. I can assume where it's from, but where in France is the tart originated from? 
Yeah, so it's from Saint-Tropez. Um, ah. Yes, uh, as the name sort of implies. Uh, I'm there all the time. Oh, yeah? That's where Are I you really? My, that's where I get my tag. <laughs> we need to go together, Andrew, because if you can see me, I clearly uh, yeah. I a little too. Actually, I'm barred from going there, Beta. Oh, Do you know no. why? Do you know why? why? Oh, because I kept on walking around the town, like, you know, by the beach, you know, with all the fabulous people. And I kept on going, do you know the way to Saint-Tropez? <laughs> oh, my gosh. They're Wrong like, Andrew, get out of here. Because <laughs> apparently it's San Jose. But I didn't know that. I thought it was Saint-Tropez, you know. It's okay. We'll get a wig thrown on you, some disguise, and sneak you in. <laughs> The other reason is I was stalking too many Real Housewives of New York there. Um, but we'll talk about that another time. Uh, someone, speaking of famous people, someone famous actually named the Tart. Is that right? Yeah. So who was that? That was Brigitte Bardot, <gasps> which I think all of us know. <laughs> mm. uh, but what's interesting is that the Tart was actually made by a Polish baker. Uh, his name was Alexandre Mika, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. And uh, he created this tart tropezienne as like a take on a brioche pastry. And he used uh, his recipe from his grandmother, his Polish grandmother, to create the tart. And Brigitte Bardot was in town in the 50s uh, to create a movie with her husband called um, And God Created uh, Yes, and God her, Created Men. No, Men. Yeah, men. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Um, so obviously uh, at the time, I guess Brigitte Bardot was actually not that famous. Um, she was known, but not at the height of her career yet. So um, basically, they were getting craft services from this, I know, baker, I mean, to get craft services from a French baker, like, please. <laughs> um, and so they they served this tart and it became a favorite on the set and Brigitte Bardot in particular loved it. And so she told the baker, I think you need to make this like a thing and helped him name it. You're listening to Fabulously Delicious, the podcast that's all about French food and the wonderful and fabulous people that make it. If you'd like to support the making of Fabulously Delicious, then there are many ways you can do this. But one of those ways is through Patreon, the link of which is in the show notes for this episode. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee a month, you can receive exclusive content just for you. So check it out. I'm sure you will enjoy. And also, it's a way of you supporting me and the podcast and more fabulous French foodies. So what better thing to do than support Fabulously Delicious by becoming a Patreon member? Right. Well, she's a bit of a controversial character, Bridget Bardo, so uh, I think maybe we should um, – well, she's become one as she's gotten older. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We all do. You know, we all, yeah. get it. we all get controversial as we get older. We I'm stop sure. caring as we get older. <laughs> well, the foot Contessa came to Paris and didn't tell me. I mean, hello, that's controversial. So we'll move on. Does the So it was Chef Alexander's. Um, does his potato – 
patisserie. What's a patisserie? <laughs> listeners, I, I'm coming up with new words. Does his patisserie still exist? Yeah, so I guess in the 70s, he trademarked the name Le Tarte Tropezien. And um, he ended up involving, I want to say his name is Alan uh, Dufresne or something like that, a very famous um, businessman and partner for him basically here in France and expanded the concept and pastry shops. And so if you go to Saint-Tropez today, you'll see this pastry featured in many shops, not just you know, his, but yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's still around. Um, but I, I, I haven't actually experienced the original in Saint-Tropez, so I would love to do that. <laughs> well, we need to stick. We need to sneak in there together yeah, then, and uh, and go and and have a look. And and I promise I won't go to the counter and ask. Do you know the way to Saint-Tropez? <laughs> uh, because it's not the Don't song. Get out, Andrew. <laughs> San the song, Andrew. Anyway, are there? So that Saint Tropez is the Cote d'Azur, one of my favourite places in France. Are there any other patisseries from that region that we might know of? Good question. I, yes. I would not be the expert on that, but <laughs> if there are, I would be very open to trying all of them and down to be a participant. So. <laughs> the, you mentioned it before, but this sort of pastry cream, that was actually his grandmother's recipe, wasn't it? This yeah, idea of so, combining the pastry creams. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the especially the orange blossom component was something he really pulled from his grandma's you know, recipe book, so to speak. But I think just pairing that even with the brioche was a very novel concept. And uh, he does the whole pearl sugar topping on that as well, which he apparently created his own pearl sugar. Like you do? Yeah, right. And I think if you're in the States and you want to do it, it can be hard to find pearl sugar. Uh, It's not as accessible as it is in France. So um, what you can do is you can always just take sugar cubes and crush them up and it'll have the same effect. Love that tip. Some people believe that the actual origin for his tart, the tart trapezian, came from uh, Bohemia. So I'm not sure exactly where Bohemia is supposed to be, but it is also popular in places like Prague and other European cities. So is it really, do we believe it's really his creation or did maybe... Maybe he sort of, you know, took it from somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, the fact that it does have Polish roots could mean that, you know, I'm sure, I I mean, I shouldn't say I'm sure. I'm guessing his grandma didn't invent whatever recipe he pulled from her either. So it's very possible that it was around elsewhere. I think that probably it's construction um, in just maybe – of course, its name and whatnot made it very famous in France. And having Brigitte Bardot, a known figure, give her sort of stamp of approval on it, of course, is going to give it celebrity status, you know. <laughs> Just to close off this subject about the tart trapezian, we talked about one controversial founder of the dessert, that being Brigitte Bardot. But um, tell me, do you know who the controversial uh, characters uh, recently that uh, ate the tart were? 
Oh, no. Tell me, Andrew. Oh, you don't. Oh, well, no. some, inf- some infamous figures. Apparently, in 2018, the, the as Whoopi uh, Goldberg on The View would say, um, the he who shall not be named that ruled mm. your com- your country for a little while um, that we don't talk about, the, okay. the previous... <laughs> Previous judge on The Apprentice. Right. Um, I think you all know who I'm talking about. Ivanka's father is Ivanka yeah. the fa- the daughter or the wife? Yeah, I can't the remember daughter. it. It's confusing. Uh, Ivanka's <laughs> father and um, Kim Jong Un, the oh, second goodness. or something. Apparently, they had a meeting in 2018, and after the meeting, they had the Saint Trapezian. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that news, Andrew. <laughs> You're kind of ruining the dessert for me. <laughs> uh, look, I don't. I don't think you could ever look at a lovely brioche cake with with diplomat basically cream inside of it, with sugar sprinkled all over the top of it, and think of he hill should not be named in Kim Jong Un. I don't think. Yeah, I guess let's look at the positive side that this dessert is just so fabulous that it attracts everybody from all sides of the spectrum. (laughs) What I would have loved is to have one in each hand and gone kaput right into their faces with one. Um, That would have been lovely. Peter, finally, the question that I ask everybody that's been on Fabulously Delicious today, and that is, what to you is the most fabulous thing about France? Mm. Honestly, I just truly love that everything in France is done very intentionally. Um, You know, whether it is the food and the way they're presenting it and putting that in front of you, or it's the way the men and women always look very polished and put together um, or the vacations they take for themselves and the fact that they do have that time. I mean, where else can you find five weeks of vacation? (laughs) Um, So, you know, but everything is done with the intention to enjoy life, to take pleasure and to just feel good. And to me, that is what makes France very unique among other countries and yeah, it is, a, it is a very unique place and I, I love that, uh, the intentions, yes. Peter uh, Hashimport, thank you so much for joining me joining me on Fabulously Publicist today. It's been a fabulous conversation. It's good to get to know you, uh, for our listeners to get to know you. How can they find you if they uh, want to find out about your life uh, coaching? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so you can follow me on Instagram at monpetit4.com. Or you can visit my website, monpetit4.com. And uh, if you either do slash coaching or just click on the coaching tab at the top, you can also find my um, more about my coaching offer over there. Fabulous. Well, I will put all of that details in the show notes for this episode. Peter Hashenport, thank you for joining me on Fabulously Delicious today. Merci, Andrew, and I'll send you an email to plan that Saint Tropez trip. <laughs> oh, sounds like a plan. Merci beaucoup. Merci, au revoir. Au revoir. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. 
On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading!